Hello and welcome to this PSG Think Big series podcast. In this program, Alicia Sekem speaks to Khlema Motlanti, the former president of the Republic of South Africa, on the future of politics in South Africa. Hello and welcome to the Think Big series brought to you by PSG. I'm Alicia Sekem. Now, this webinar forms part of a collection of dialogues with leading speakers, and it aims to bring its audiences independent insights that help them in turn formulate their own opinions on some of South Africa's most pressing issues. Remember, the series is free, it's shareable, it's open to anyone interested, whether you're a PSG client or not. So do share and keep the conversation going on social media platforms using the hashtag ThinkBigPSG. Right, today we take a look at the future of politics in South Africa. Looking forward, what are some of the key developments shaping that future? And ultimately, what political steering does South Africa need to get back on track? This conversation happening, of course, in the run-up to the ANC's national conference in December, and we're catching up with former president of South Africa and current head of the ANC's electoral commission, Khalema Motlante. Thanks so much, Khalema, for joining us today. So you've sounded the alarm. The ANC is losing favor with the electorate. South Africans are becoming impatient if they aren't completely out of patience already, as slow to no growth breeds an unemployment rate that's higher than it's ever been. While the cost of living rises, service delivery is lacking, ESCOM puts us on stage six, and corruption, lack of good governance, lack of accountability, all work to steal away from the progress we could be making. It's a ticking time bomb here. Is the alarm being heard this time around? Well, the uh, leadership and the general membership of the ANC uh, state that they have had uh, the alarm bells and they've read the writing on the wall, and, and hence the uh, commitment to renew the organization. And then, of course, uh, uh, the impending the 55th National Elective Conference uh, coming up in, in, in December uh, will no doubt uh, uh, give us a sense of where we're heading uh, uh, simply by uh, how the uh, nomination and selection of an election of leaders uh, is conducted. That's, that's important. That would be an important indicator uh, because uh, if, if the elected collective leadership inspire confidence, then uh, uh, it would, of course, have a, a positive impact yeah, in, in, in favor of the ANC. Khalema, you know, like you say, the spotlights on leadership, right? How much of the change that's needed? now coming with the ANC's Electoral Commission, setting down new rules governing the election process within the ANC. Because while the rhetoric is that this has the potential to completely change the way the party conducts its elections, that it will change the NS NEC profile um, and will ultimately impact the way the country is governed, confidence is low that the ANC will really be able to enforce the rules, realistically speaking. Mm. Yes, uh, the, the, as they say, uh, the taste of the uh, uh, pudding is in the eating. So uh, the, the general membership, as well as uh, the support base of the ANC, 
and the general South Africans uh, would want to see signs in concrete terms that uh, indeed uh, there's a break with the past. And, and, and that is why part of the uh, rules uh, that uh, the electoral committee had to uh, put to the national executive committee, which I adopted them, have uh, come out, are lifted directly out of the ANC constitution. So, so here, uh, the point uh, is, is to really to make it clear to the uh, general membership as well as delegates to conference that uh, the National Executive Committee is a very important structure in between conferences. Conferences are held on, uh, once every five years. And so this is a structure of leadership that's going to be uh, in charge of uh, you know, organizational matters. And also uh, if, if the ANC remains a governing party, uh, this is a structure of leadership that's going to have a, a great influence uh, in, in, in ultimately who uh, gets appointed to uh, uh, govern the country and so on. So <clears throat> the, the trust levels uh, can only be improved uh, if, as I said, uh, the uh, individuals who form the collective leadership uh, in, uh, themselves unimpeachable and uh, uh, inspire confidence. Uh, I've, I've got to ask you, with factionalism and slate politics in play, Kalema, yeah. how many more cans of worms are you anticipating it opening up in mm. the runner? Mm. Well, well you know, I, I'm sure you've observed that uh, over the weekend, uh, the past few weeks, uh, the provincial executive committees uh, have, you know, uh, in a sense, uh, showed their hand in their open gambit of uh, who they want to support. And, you know, they also uh, throw in names in there for bargaining purposes and so on. So quite clearly, uh, they, they would want to accommodate each other and so on. But of course, the, uh, the rules uh, provide for the uh, uh, branches to be the ones who do the nomination. And, and, and the uh, tallying at the end of, uh, you know, uh, how many branches have nominated which name and so on, is what determines what would ultimately end up, the names that would ultimately end up uh, on the ballot paper. Yeah. The ANC has been described as an elephant in some instances, slow to get going, but once in motion, you better get out of its way. Slow to get going, though. So surely only a few months ahead of the conference, this all comes a little too late. No, not quite, because uh, uh, I think it was a deliberate decision on the part of the National Executive Committee that uh, the rules will uh, apply starting with the National Elective Conference. So these rules didn't apply to all the uh, regional and uh, provincial conferences that uh, uh, happened earlier in the year. Uh, so so they, they, they apply specifically to the National 
uh, elective conference. And thereafter, I suppose, uh, they will then apply to all other structures uh, going forward. Khalima, do you wish you acted sooner? I mean, can you pinpoint a time where it hit you that mm -hmm. South Africa was on the wrong path with the wrong kind of leadership leading the way and with the wrong map in hand? Yeah, well, uh, when it comes to uh, reflection on, on, on where we could have perhaps, you know, uh, missed the boat, uh, there, there are a number of instances uh, and moments in our past that uh, one believes that uh, had we acted differently, uh, we, we wouldn't be where we are today. Uh, one, one of those uh, is uh, uh, the, the position of national chairperson. Uh, that position uh, in the uh, days before the banning of the ANC was uh, 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 referred to as the Speaker of the House because conferences of the ANC were, uh, you know, uh, regarded and treated as a parliament of the, those who were excluded from the main body politic following the establishment of the Union of South Africa. So, so that's, that was a very important position. It meant that uh, like a speaker, uh, the, the, the national chairperson presides over plenary uh, sessions at conference. And therefore it should be someone who is uh, uh, adept in terms of uh, the policies of the INC and uh, procedures uh, of the INC. So, so uh, this position was then reinstated uh, in, in the 30 years of uh, the ANC being a proscribed organization. This position was done away with, but it was reinstated in 1991 uh, when, when uh, Oliver Tambo, who was president of the ANC at the time, uh, but had, you know, suffered uh, a, a, a stroke. Uh, and therefore had to step uh, aside so that uh, Mandiba, uh, who had come out of prison, would then uh, take over as president of the ANC and therefore lead the rigorous negotiations process and so on. So, so this position was reinstated and Oliver Tambo became the national chairperson of, of the ANC. Now, uh, going by that experience, I think where we went wrong was uh, in a Mafiken conference in, in uh, uh, 97, uh, when uh, Madiba, who was head of state and president of the ANC, but was now uh, stepping down as president of the ANC and handing the baton over to uh, President Thabo Mbeki. Uh, we ought to have elected Madiba to be the national chairperson. Uh, and, and, and that missed step uh, uh, created the, uh, uh, you know, conditions and possibilities of what then happened by the time we went to uh, 
Polokwane uh, conference in 2007. Like to say, you know, yeah. we've got hindsight uh, perfect science, but <laughs> given the fact that it was already as far back as 97, post that misstep, why didn't you try and initiate change sooner? Yes, you were president on short mandate, seven months, but you were also deputy president uh, for a period. Why weren't you more radical? Why weren't you playing more of a role in what needed to be done at that point, post the misstep, to weed out the rot? Well, well uh, you know, attempts were made, but uh, uh, the, the leadership collective uh, that was elected in Polokwane uh, had very little regard for the constitutional prescripts and, and, and really relied more on uh, uh, numbers. If, if in their view, uh, you were a lone voice, uh, it didn't matter. You could say whatever you wanted to say. Uh, it really didn't matter. They would still carry on uh, with uh, what they decide. So it, it, it made it this much more uh, difficult, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the recall, for instance, of President Becky uh, was one of those instances where uh, we, we held completely different views, but yeah. uh, the overwhelming majority uh, uh, felt that, you know, there should be uh, a recall. Uh, and, and all of that was triggered by uh, how the Nicholson judgment uh, uh, was overturned by the uh, Supreme Court of, 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 of Appeal. You, you talk about that divergence of views as far as uh, former President Tabumbeki's tenure is concerned, but where we talk about good governance, where we talk about accountability, your thoughts on the ANC shielding former President Jacob Zuma against eight votes of no confidence? Well, you know, the... the uh, 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 lacuna here uh, uh, lies between the constitution of the ANC on the one side and the constitution of the Republic on the other. So, so the only uh, instance where uh, mention is made of uh, uh, what is contained in the uh, constitution of the Republic uh, is, is that the ANC constitution simply refers to the need to establish a caucus in the assembly, in the National Assembly, uh, and, and, and it ends there. So you have a situation, practically, where uh, uh, to be a member of parliament, you are sonim, and you, you, you uh, take a certain oath, uh, and yet no sooner had you taken that oath than that uh, uh, you know, on, on key issues, where you, you, you have to abide by the decisions adopted in the ANC caucus. Yeah. So not <clears> so, so have, long ago, you talked about have, decision paralysis taking hold, right? That were yeah. democratic processes corrupted by vote buying, slate politics, manipulation. Yeah. The outcome is a leader paralyzed by doubt because he or she isn't sure yeah. why exactly they've been elected in the first yeah. place. So yeah. something that should be all empowering is instead triggering a state of inertia. Has Halema the utility of the Congress then not run its course? Is it still fit for purpose? Hmm. Well, you know, uh, <clears throat> it's also not advisable to 
uh, bury any organization prematurely because uh, you you can perhaps you know uh, empty it of its uh, essence uh, and and leave it you know for uh, burial uh, and only for other people to go in there and breathe fresh life into it uh, and and utilize it uh, quite quite differently so so the 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 only way in which you know uh, organizations come to an end uh, is if there is a realignment of uh, you know key south africans uh, okay, so we're going to talk is. about that realignment in just yeah. a bit, right? In the okay. interim, we're dealing mm. with, and the list is endless here, but I'm going to cite yeah. just two issues. The yeah. Stage six load shedding, and if mm. that doesn't already make it tough to do business, to grow an yeah. economy, we're coming yeah. up against South Africa potentially being grey listed by the Financial yeah. Action Task Force as well, making mm. doing business even tougher. No one wants to jump. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. through additional compliance or regulatory hoops. Do you see government mm -hmm. presenting a credible plan to address its mm -hmm. deficiencies in this regard mm -hmm. by the end of October? Mm -hmm. well, well, you know, uh, <clears throat> fortunately, uh, all of the province of Pumal sits on gas, natural gas. Uh, and so does, you know, Otabek in the Limpopo region, and so does uh, uh, the Free State in the area of Virginia. So we have natural gas, not offshore, inland. And, and we can very well uh, address the balance uh, in terms of uh, our electricity needs by uh, tapping into that natural gas. And, and you, you could also, uh, by regulation, basically create many, many concrete jobs if we were to say, uh, lighting, heating, cooking in each and every household or building uh, must be on gas. Uh, so, so concretely, just the piping of those households uh, creates uh, concrete jobs. You could also have a, a new manufacturing sector uh, on, on, you know, gas-based appliances. Uh, so, so, so the, the, the option is there, it's been there, uh, available for us. But it hasn't been forthcoming. We haven't seen, uh, you know, things happen to the extent that it instills enough investor confidence. And like I say, we're sitting on this, uh, you know, this precipice of being gray listed because of weaknesses that sit within um, yeah. our financial or regulatory system, right? Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, well the, the, the banks must take a, a major responsibility for that because uh, we may be grey listed simply because uh, our, our uh, regulatory framework uh, seems to uh, allow for uh, money laundering. Uh, so that is what, you know, this, even though they didn't appear before the Zondo Commission, but this is what the Zondo Commission uh, put its finger on that uh, a large amounts of money moved through the banks. Uh, so, so the uh, siphoning out of, uh, you know, uh, all the largesse happened through the banks. Uh, and, and eventually, you know, it would end up with the Bank of Baroda and uh, out it goes. Uh, but 
this this is what uh, basically exposes South Africa to the danger of uh, uh, money laundering and therefore its consequences here. I use that example because the emphasis is on reform and reform that needs to happen fast. So where you cited things like new blood and fresh thinking, where does that fresh thinking, the new way of doing things, the innovation come from? You know, for the most part, the ANC um, is old and it begs the question, are older leaders suffering what psychologists call the scarcity mindset, holding on to what they can for the longest they can, or is there a leadership deficit? And unfortunately, uh, you know, the, these issues of uh, uh, uprightness and integrity uh, don't quite admit to simple uh, ageism, uh, as it were. So because, you know, the ANC now at this, kind, at this point in time is actually led by the fourth generation of COSAS leaders uh, throughout the branches, the regions, the provinces, uh, the current leadership is a generation uh, of, of COSAS leaders uh, throughout, nationally. Uh, and, and, and I think the 55th elective conference, we, we are going to see uh, even much more uh, younger, you know, uh, COSAS generation uh, in that leadership. The, the, issue, the, the issue really is, are they... Uh, you know, well grounded in putting the people first or not? Or have they learned uh, the uh, bad ways of uh, yeah. putting self yeah. ahead of the interests of the people or not? That's, that's really the nub of the question. As, as far as uh, intergenerational mix, uh, the ANC is ba basically in the hands of a, 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 a generation of COSAS leaders. Uh, and and, and the, old, the older generation, uh, uh, that is why they, they are in it, you know, coming up with initiatives like Defend Our Democracy and so on, because there is no space for them uh, to participate in the political life of the ANC. Yeah, with a lot of the blueprints and the plans needing to be implemented, uh, you know, less factionalism and stronger political will, quite frankly, is what's needed, right? So is there yeah. room for conversation about individual representation instead of party? Well, you know, uh, individual representation, it uh, sounds okay. However, uh, it's the coordination. You still have to coordinate uh, these individuals uh, and, and, and for them to uh, to be properly aligned and therefore to uh, serve the, the country in its uh, uh, totality. Because you see, uh, there's always a friendly tension between, you know, uh, looking at the national picture and, and, and uh, understanding that burden of leadership at that level and having a constituency which you necessarily have to look after. Uh, striking that balance uh, is, is a function of coordination, a coordinated uh, endeavor. And therefore, uh, even the uh, independent uh, at some point will have to, uh, you know, see whether there's alignment in, you know, their uh, manifestos or takes 
uh, as to what are the priorities. So, so should coalition politics be more so on the agenda? I mean, is a realignment of political forces a viable consideration in South Africa, or does that throw South African politics into more of a state of flux? Well, uh, you know, uh, coalition politics uh, are about uh, lots of compromises uh, and, and, and also need lots of maturity you know, for people who know uh, uh, how to prioritize national interests as opposed to narrow uh, parochial or partisan uh, interest, uh, as it were. So, so in a in a sense, uh, my view is that we we ought to lay stress or emphasis on creating efficient local uh, uh, state or governments uh, with local economies. That's, that's what we should really strive for. Because if, if uh, we have a situation where our municipalities are dysfunctional, the local economies aren't working at all. Uh, uh, simply because there's no supportive infrastructure and so on. So, so you get in a certain uh, district, uh, millions coming in in the form of social grants. Day one, by day three, they are all out uh, of that area. So the local economies aren't working because the local governments are dysfunctional. So in my, in my book, uh, we should prioritize fixing that end of uh, our government. Then you see, even if you have a, a, a coalition government at national level, it really wouldn't matter because the, the, the economies and the governments and the service, because that's where, uh, you know, uh, ordinary citizens interface yeah. with the state. Uh, so if there's efficiency at that end, then we, we would, you know, have the space to you know, uh, decide whether uh, coalitions are the future of this country, or and, and look at the electoral uh, act uh, uh, to see if we can amend it uh, in a way that uh, would strengthen our democracy. As things stand, I mean, government can't not know what's wrong or what requires fixing within the country and the economy. Yeah. As you've cited, uh, this is some of the first, uh, these mm -hmm. are some of the first steps that we need to start taking. The stumbling block is the how-to. So what's mm -hmm. your view on how to fix things and the place to start? Mm -hmm. Well, place uh, to start? firstly, I mean, uh, at a conceptual level, we ought to be able to uh, uh, distinguish between government and the state. Uh, these two are always conflated. The reality is that governments suffer from short-termism because they are in there for five years and, and sometimes even less than five years. Uh, but you need to have a stable, capable state. And for that to happen, uh, how you select and appoint your bureaucrats, where your senior managers in the state is very, very important. That is the starting point. At the moment, that uh, is, uh, if, you, if you go through the uh, uh, Pu Public Service Act, uh, you'll notice that uh, 
the, the authority to appoint senior managers vests with the president. And of course, the president exercises it by uh, delegating to ministers. And so the ministers, uh, we've seen examples of a minister who's appointed today and day one when he goes to the new office, he's already followed by two senior managers. Uh, and, and without having, uh, you know, uh, uh, even giving themselves time just to understand the, the skills mix and the experience and institutional memory that already exists in that department. So, so, so that, that's, that's the nub of our problem. That is the reason why we have an unstable, uh, incapable state because there is no institutional memory. If, if I may give you an example, the best department in government over the years has always been science and technology because the director general in science and technology has always been there from the beginning. Dr. Film Joaha, it's the ministers who come and go as it uh, really should be. But then once you've got that in place, once there's an understanding of that, we've got three powerful parties in play. We've got government, we've got labor, we've got business. Each of them is feeling disempowered and each is convinced that the other two are empowered. So how do we break that deadlock so that there's effective collaboration in the progress? Well, NetLag is a structure that has four chambers, uh, civic society, labor, organized business and government. And uh, thus far, uh, each one of the component members, uh, member organizations, complain about the others. That uh, uh, so you'll have labor saying, no, you know, uh, government sends deputy ministers who are never uh, uh, ready and uh, able to take decisions, uh, and and business doesn't send CEOs. And, and so the, uh, the CEOs on the other end will also be complaining that, you know, labor representatives are not properly authorized. They don't have uh, the authority to, to take decisions and so on. So it's a structure which takes far much longer. I mean, they've been debating and discussing the need for a social compact. Uh, but, you know, they haven't even concluded those discussions. Uh, but that is the structure which is actually meant to uh, bring about uh, synergies between all these uh, uh, key stakeholders here. It's, it's the structure that's meant to, but what's going to be the catalyst hmm. for actual... Well, for well, actual... Well, well, you know, there are models. I mean, uh, if, you, if you take the co-determination system in Germany, which uh, was fashioned in the wake of the second, end of the Second World War, when uh, the German economy was completely destroyed, infrastructure completely destroyed, uh, and so on. And government, organized labor, and organized business came together and they formed a golden triangle. Uh, and, and how it works uh, in Germany is that uh, the, the, the labor sits on boards of companies uh, so, so they are exposed to the same information. Part of the problem here of mistrust and or little trust and, and suspicion and all of that is precisely because uh, so labor goes into uh, collective bargaining and they bargain and uh, representatives of the employers uh, plead poverty and 
at whatever point they settle, but the settlement leaves all parties unhappy. And yeah. then what yeah. then happens, three, two months down the line, the MDs and CEOs get uh, bonuses of, uh, say, take the up, uh, Sibanye, uh, uh, you know, uh, Froneman gets 300 million. And, and, and uh, Joseph Matunjwa of Amku says, look, we are only asking for 1,000. Uh, and, and, and the company says, we can't afford it. So, so you, you will always have that mistrust, deep-seated mistrust, yeah. until there's an appreciation that uh, information is power. If, if uh, labor representatives sit on the board, they will be exposed to, they will have a better understanding. Before I let you go, I've yeah. got to ask, because the focus is, right, on building an economy of inclusive growth yeah. that's investment-worthy. So mm. where would you be investing right now? Mm. Well, in food production and, uh, and energy. As I told you about gas, uh, I, I, I see an excellent opportunity there that you could tap into our natural gas and create a completely new sector of the economy which would also bring about balance in the energy supplies in the, in the country. And therefore, you know, uh, uh, but, you know, given our levels of unemployment and so on, I, I would also, uh, rather than, you know, giving uh, and considering this basic income grant, I would rather, you know, have microfinancing and micro lending facilities in the midst of communities. So that young unemployed people who have a need for seed capital to start up something can access such micro lending. And, 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 and government should not over-regulate that informal sector. The, what is missing, what I find missing is how we could shine a light and lift those. Because these are inspirational stories that are there. Uh, rather than to talk ourselves into a depression. Uh, and also lift them before the light goes out, you know, and, uh, and I'm talking quite literally here because yes. ESCOM is putting yeah. pressure on even those that are doing good. Well, I think, I think if we go the guest route, ESCOM should be, uh, uh, the, the, the ESCOM should not be in charge of the national grid. It should be one of the players. We should have a different holding uh, entity in charge of the national grid so that uh, private power producers and, and gas-based uh, producers can then upload whatever is in access. Helena, I can't believe that you've opened the door to a whole new conversation as we hit 30 minutes on this one. We're going to have to invite you back in so that we can take this conversation further. Unfortunately, we've run out of time this time round, but undoubtedly with economics and politics inextricably intertwined, it's going to be interesting to see whether the shifts triggered in the political arena will be enough to get South Africa back on track economically economically speaking, so that investors start seeing the value of investing here. Thank you so much for having joined us today. And to our viewers, it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you as well. Uh, communicate with us. We welcome your feedback always. And look out for the next speaker in the Think Big series.